Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. Come on, give me a little more love than that. Good morning, Christ Fellowship. All right, the last one was a little bit better. I appreciate it. I'm excited for today. I really am. Um, I'm thankful for everyone that's here. Thank you for everyone that's tuning in online. You know, I know you can be doing so many things right now. You might be doing a few things at the same time, maybe having breakfast, a late breakfast at the same time. But I'm glad you're watching us. I'm glad you're joining in. This year has been a really special year throughout the whole year. We've been going through the Bible book by book. And believe it or not, today, actually, we're halfway through the Bible. I did the math. I figured it out. I did all the counting. You can figure it out yourselves if you want to afterwards. There are 66 books in the total and and totality. All all of it is 66 books. By the end of today, we'll be officially halfway through. I think that's pretty amazing. And the other really cool thing is we're almost through the Old Testament. The Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. The Old Testament is everything. It covers everything before Jesus came down to earth. And the New Testament, it starts with Jesus's birth on earth and everything afterwards. So I think that's a pretty amazing thing. I've really enjoyed this whole series this year. Today, we're continuing with the book of the prophets, the books of the prophets. Last week, Ashley did an amazing job telling us about Amos and Obadiah. And she told us that God called them out for the injustices that they had. And we, us as a church, as, as followers and disciples of Jesus, we're also supposed to address injustices because we're called to be holy just as God is holy. Today, we're going to get into the uh, two more prophets, Jonah and Micah. Now, remember, a prophet is someone that speaks God's truth to other people. A prophet receives a message from God and delivers that message to other people. Um, And that message might be about something in the present time. It can be something from the near future or even the distant future. Now, you might hear that and you might say, Joel, it's a little hard for me to believe that prophets exist, that that's something that God does. You mean to tell me someone hears from God and then has a message from him to give to other people? And if that's you, I understand. Maybe it's you here or someone watching online. I understand. I respect it. But I'll say I do believe it with all my heart. I believe it for many reasons. And one reason is because I've experienced it. Many a times have, has, uh, has God spoken to me through a prophet, giving me a message specific to my life, something about my present or even my future. You know, many times that's happened. And I'll even take it a step further. God has spoken to my heart directly countless times. And I know that's not just true for me, but that's true for so many others that have walked this walk of faith and believing in who Jesus is and what he's done. But if that's you this morning, I get it. I respect it. I'll say this, though. If prophecy is something that you're not sure about, get ready, because we're about to get in the book of Jonah. There's a whole lot there that might get you a little bit you know, iffy about yourself right now, about, about what you believe. So let's get into this. Uh, maybe that's you right now, and hopefully by the end of this, you'll understand a little bit more what we believe. Really, there are two books we're learning from today. It's not just Jonah. It's Jonah and Micah. And we're going to start off with some basic facts about the two books. The first book, Jonah, it was believed to have been written by Jonah himself, although that's not definitively confirmed. But traditionally, that's what we believe, that it was him who wrote it. And the time frame is that of Jonah's ministry, which was from 793 B.C. all the way to 753 B.C. So you count downward, 793, 792, 791, all the way down to 753 B.C., And it's considered a book of prophecy, but really, it's more of an historical book. Uh, It gives the historical account of God sending Jonah, this prophet, to a city called Nineveh. And he was giving him this message of repentance for the people that are there. And they had to repent or else they were going to receive God's oncoming judgment. The book only has four chapters in total. It's actually a really easy read in a sense where it's short. If you want to go back home and read it even today, you can do that. You can actually just turn on your Bible app, listen to it in the car on the way home. You'll be done before you get home. The book of Micah was written by Micah. It has seven chapters in total. 
Micah's ministry took place from 742 BC to 687 BC. This book is definitely a book of prophecy. It's a collection of all of the prophecies that Micah received from God, primarily for the people of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. So after King Solomon died, Israel was divided into two parts, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So most of these prophecies from Micah were for Judah, the southern kingdom, but some were also for the northern kingdom of Israel. And the prophecies varied. Some of them were for uh, things of the near future. Others were for the distant future. Some prophecies were about judgment from God. And in other words, others were about grace, about forgiveness and restoration that would come even after the judgment. One difference between the two prophets, Jonah was from the northern kingdom of Israel. Michael was from the southern kingdom of Judah. And their ministries did not overlap. There was a 10-year gap when Jonah's ministry ended. 10 years later, that's when Micah started. All right, so we're going to jump into the story of Jonah. One day, God tells his prophet Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh, and I need you to tell them this message that I give you because their sin has come before me. In fact, he says it this way, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah, being a good and faithful servant, listened to God right away and went straight to Nineveh, right? Not at all. Not at all. He did the total opposite. He ran in the opposite direction. If God told him to go east, he went west. And he went as far out west as possible. He literally did the total opposite of what God told him to do. And I love how the Bible adds little details. If you ever, you know, pick up that word, you start seeing there are little details that make you wonder, why is this even in here? There's some little things there. One of them is, you actually heard in the song that Jen danced to which was amazing, by the way. The song even says it, and it's in the scripture. It says that he went down to this place called Joppa, and he had to pay the fare to board the ship and leave. He was trying to go to this place called Tarshish. That would be the furthest west he could go. I love that little detail that he had to pay the fare. Like he was willing to pay, his, pay with his money to run away from God. I thought that was so funny. And the funniest part is it didn't work. Like it was a waste of money because at the end of it all, he couldn't run away from God. So the lesson of today is don't, wait, don't spend money trying to wait from God because it'll be a waste of money. I'm telling you, learn from Jonah. It'll be a waste of money. It really is. So he sails off in this ship, and God causes this violent storm to rise up. And the crew from this ship were scared. They were scared. They had no idea what was going on. Jonah was below deck sleeping. It's pretty crazy, right? He was sleeping during a storm. And they woke him up, and they said, wake up. Wake up and pray to your God. Whatever God you believe in, pray to him because this is crazy what's going on. See, they were praying to their gods. They were praying to what they believed in. And they were saying, you need to join us and pray to your God. Maybe your God will listen to you. And Jonah knew what was happening. He knew it was his fault. So Jonah said, listen, this is what you have to do. It's my fault. God, my God is doing this. My God, the one that created everything. He's doing this because I'm running away from, from him. What you have to do is throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. You'll see that the storm will stop right away. Now, they were scared of that. They said, well, I'm going to throw, you, I'm gonna throw this innocent man overboard. We can't do that. So they didn't do it right away. They tried to lighten up the load. They tried to uh, row back to shore. But what happened? As time passed, the storm got worse and worse. It kept rising. So eventually they said, you know what? They pray to Jonah's God now. It's crazy, interesting when you think of that. They pray to Jonah's God now. And they said, Lord, please don't hold this against us. We're going to throw this man overboard. Please don't, don't kill us because we're killing him. And I want to read what it says, just so you can hear it for yourself. Jonah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And it says, Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I read this because even as he was running away from God's calling, he was still doing the very thing God was making, wanted him to do, even though he didn't want to. The very thing that God was wanting him to do in Nineveh, he was doing now in the ship. He was bringing people to repentance that didn't know God and leading them to worship God. This crew did not know God. They were not Israelites. They did not know Jonah's God. But by the end of it, they were praising him and worshiping him and committing their lives to him. 
He was running away from the very thing God wanted him to do. Didn't realize he was still doing it anyway. Don't run away from God. It's a waste of money, I tell you. So let's keep going. Now Jonah should die in the water, right? He should. But he didn't. God actually set it up so that this huge fish would swallow him. And he'd be in this fish for three days. And He should die in the fish now at least, right? No, he doesn't. He's in this fish for three days and three nights. And during this time, Jonah prays to God, thanking him for saving his life. And now he vows to commit to this mission that God gave him to go to Nineveh. Now he says, I'm going to do it. Notice, he doesn't apologize for running away. He doesn't apologize for being disobedient. So that says a little bit about his heart. He was still going through issues too. But at least he did thank God for saving his life. And he did commit to the mission that God gave him. And then what happens? After three days and three nights, God commands the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. Listen, I didn't choose that wording. That was straight from the Bible. I know that's you know, not a great visual. It sounds nasty. He vomited him onto dry land. I bet believing in this prophecy seems like small fish now. That was a dad joke. I don't know if you caught that. That was a prophecy, small fish now. Why? Because I get it. Hearing this story of Jonah, you know, God sending this, fish, this huge fish, right, to swallow up Jonah, that sounds outlandish. That sounds bizarre. That sounds really hard to believe. It sounds crazy. But consider this. Consider this. Jesus himself believed this story. He himself believed this story. You can read it for yourselves later in Matthew chapter 12. Verses 38 through 41, but pretty much the situation was this. The religious leaders of that time were challenging Jesus and said, show us a sign to prove that you are who you say you are. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, the only sign I show you is the sign of Jonah. The only sign I show you is the sign of Jonah. He says, Jonah, just like Jonah, that was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. You see the parallel, right? In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and in three days, I'll be back. Just like Jonah. Jonah should have died. Three days later, he was back. See, what, what Jesus was doing there was he was using the story of Jonah to represent what he was about to go through. We know that he died, and on the third day, was resurrected by the power of God. It would have been self-defeating, completely self-defeating, if the story of Jonah weren't true. Because essentially, Jesus would have been comparing what he was going to go through to something that wasn't true. But what Jesus was actually doing was affirming the story of Jonah to be a, a true event. And I tell you, if Jesus believes it, I believe it 100%. Now, if you're listening and you're wondering, you know what, Joel, I'm not even sure if I believe Jesus was who you say he was, let alone believe the story of Jonah being swallowed up by a fish and living and surviving and God orchestrating all of it. I'll tell you this. If you don't believe in, you know, if you're not sure about Jesus yet, then don't even worry about the story of Jonah. Don't even worry about that right now. Why? Because the greater miracle, the most important miracle, is the miracle of Jesus dying on the cross and by the power of God being resurrected and brought back to life. See, the story of Jonah has no effect, whether you believe in that miracle of being swallowed by a fish or not. That, that miracle itself has no effect on your eternal destiny. It doesn't. Whether you believe that to be true or not has no effect on your eternal destiny. But whether you believe in that Jesus is the Son of God, and he died in a cross and as payment for your sins. And again, by the power of God was brought back to life. The decision you have on that, that completely determines where you spend eternity. So if you're not sure about the whole Christian thing yet, don't even get caught up with the huge fish being swallowed up by Jonah. Do you believe in Jesus seriously? If you don't, if you don't, then my heart, my concern, my hope is that by, by the end of this teaching, by the end of this morning, you believe in Jesus. You place your faith in who he is. And who I believe he is and, who I, and what I believe he did and what I believe he represents. He's the son of God. And he paid for your sins because he loves you. Now, for those who do believe in Jesus this way, guess what? Jesus affirms his story. If he believes it, I believe it. And I'll take it even further. God can do whatever he wants. He's the one that created everything to begin with. You know, when you think of what he did with Jesus bringing him back to life, what's it to him to do what he did with Jonah? With Jesus, he had to bring him back to life. With Jonah, he just had to keep him alive. Like, that's easier to me in my book. So the greatest miracle is definitely what he did with Christ. But going back to the story, Jonah gets vomited by this fish. Again, that sounds really nasty. And now God tells him a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. And this time Jonah obeyed. He went straight to Nineveh and he proclaims this message. And it's a one sentence, one liner. He says, 
40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. In other words, they knew the message. They got it crystal clear. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And what happened? The same thing that happened with the crew in the ship. They responded to it the right way. They repented. They said, you know, they were scared of this message. They responded to God in fear. And the Ninevites believed God and they started to fast in fear of the message. Even the king of Nineveh heard this and believed it. And then listen to what it says. He caused a citywide fast. I want to read it. Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, um, sorry, this is the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Not even the animals could even eat or drink like But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, the people of Nineveh repented. The king of Nineveh repented. Even the animals repented, although they had no idea what they were doing with the fast. But, you know, they they were forced not to eat either. Even they repented in a sense. The people must have been happy with God's compassion, right? God was obviously happy with their repentance. The people must have been happy with God's compassion. Hello, we're not dead. They must have been happy. Jonah must have been so happy because God sent them on this dangerous mission. He survived it. And the people led to, ended up having this citywide revival. But he wasn't happy. He, wasn't, he was miserable, actually. Jonah witnessed, he literally witnessed an entire city destined for destruction, turn from their wicked ways, repent of their sins, and follow God. And he was miserable about it. It doesn't even make sense. He was miserable about it. Imagine seeing all of Elizabeth Begin this citywide fast, right? Like, I'm, hey, you know what? We're speaking, we're speaking for the future here. Imagine seeing Elizabeth have a citywide revival, turn from their sins, repent from their sins, and believe on the Jesus. Have a change of mind and a change of heart. As a city, how beautiful would that be? That would be beyond words. We wouldn't even be able to describe how beautiful that would be. Jonah, miserable, upset. He wasn't happy. Why? There's a reason for it. There's an explanation to him being upset. It's not a justifiable reason. It wasn't a good reason, but there's a reason for it. Remember that Jonah was from Israel, the northern kingdom. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria wasn't a part of Israel at all. It wasn't even part of Judah. Assyria was an enemy of Israel. It was an enemy of Israel. In fact, decades later, Assyria would conquer Israel. Although Jonah didn't know that part yet, but Assyria would conquer Israel. They were already enemies. See, when Jonah initially ran away from God, the first time he told him about going to Nineveh, you would have thought oh, he's probably scared. These people might kill him because prophets, you know, you don't have a long, a long, it's like a football player. You don't have a long expectancy, right? How long, how long do you last in the NFL? Like seven years. Prophets didn't last too long. It was a dangerous job, right? He didn't go into it hoping to live till hundred years old. So Jonah, you would have thought maybe he's scared of going there. No, he wasn't scared of the Ninevites. He was scared that God would actually not give them the the destruction that they deserved, that he felt like they deserved. He was scared that God would actually show compassion to them. He didn't want them to taste God's goodness. He didn't want them to, to taste what God's grace was like. He wanted them to be destroyed because that was his enemy. That was his enemy. Now, all of this story leads to the heart of today's message. And today's message is all about God's grace. And you saw it all over the story, and we'll point it out. It's all about God's grace. And I'll just jump into the first point here. God's grace is offered to everyone. God's grace is offered to everyone. This is something Jonah didn't understand. This is something the people of Israel didn't understand. They were the chosen people. In their minds, God was theirs and no one else's. That was it. God did not belong to anyone else, just to them. In this story of Jonah, what God is saying is, I'm not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not only the God of Israel. I'm not only the God of Judah. I'm the God of the entire world. That's what God was saying in his story. 
I'm the God of the entire world. As Christians, it can be easy for us to forget this sometimes. God loves everyone. He loves you. He loves me. He loves everyone. He doesn't just love everyone that comes on Sunday morning. He doesn't just love those that that are listening in online. He loves everyone. He loves even those that never have been to church on Sunday morning. Not only does he also love those that just come on Easter and Christmas, even those that don't even wake up on Easter and Christmas to come to church. He loves everyone. His grace is offered to everyone. The person you hate most, God still loves. The person you hate most, think about that for a second. You might say, I don't hate nobody. Listen, the person you like least, if you want to say it that way, I'll say it that way. God still loves. I'll give an example. Fidel Castro, Fidel Castro, my my family's Cuban, so that's my background. Fidel Castro was a dictator in Cuba for almost 40 years. And when he first, first became a dictator in Cuba, right, the people thought he was for the people. He thought he was actually going to be for the people. Instead, he took everything from the people. Oh, you have land? No, you don't. Now it's the government's land. Oh, you got a business? No, you don't. That's illegal. It's not legal anymore. Now the business, you know, you don't have a business anymore. It's not yours. You can't have that. Oh, you have money? No, you don't. Give it to me. It's mine. He wasn't for the people at all. He took everything from the people. And you couldn't say a word about it or you end up in jail or dead. A lot of people ended up in jail or dead. Unless if they fled, they were able to get out of the country. See, in the eyes of old Cubans, Fidel Castro was the worst man on the planet. And I'll tell you, like, I don't know if he was the worst, but he was definitely up there. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't on the bottom of the list, I'll tell you that much. He was a pretty bad guy. I remember back in the day hearing some, Cuban, or some old Cubans wrestle with this question. If Fidel Castro accepted Jesus before he died, would he go to heaven? And you can already imagine what their answer was. Like, no way. No way. With everything this man did, there's no way this man can go to heaven. He responded just like, uh, like Jonah did. Nineveh, like Nineveh, you want me to go to Nineveh? I always think of Alan Iverson when I hear things like that. Practice, you talking about practice? Jonah say, Nineveh, you want me to go to Nineveh? For, so they can repent? No way, no way, no way. I bet you there might be somebody in your mind right now that you can probably think of that if God sent you on his mission to give them a, a, a message of repentance, you'd probably be like, no way. No way, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want them to be forgiven, at least not yet. No, let them suffer. Let them go through it. Let them deal with that guilt or whatever the consequences. No way, God. But consider this conversation Jesus had with the criminal on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, there, was also, there were also two other criminals and on the cross, on the crosses. And it's from Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. This word is going to be gone by the end of the day, I'll tell you that much. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, to Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today... You will be with me in paradise. This was a criminal dying on a cross, knowing full well that he deserved it. We don't know exactly what he did, but he was getting what his deeds deserved. And yet when he asked Jesus, can I go to heaven? Can you accept me into heaven? Jesus said, I got you. You're good. You're with me. He didn't say, no way. I bet you, I bet you the people that this man wronged Throughout his life, I bet you they wanted God to say, Jesus to say, no way. I bet you they wanted that, but that's not what he said. He said, you'll be with me in paradise. There are plenty of people that have wronged you. There are plenty of people that have wronged me. There are plenty of people doing horrible acts throughout this whole world. All you have to do is turn on the TV and you see it. Ashley spoke about it last week. There's no shortage of horrible things going on. There's no shortage of offenses. There's no shortage of, you know, uh, pain being brought onto us by other people's sin. But this is the depth of God's love. God still loves those people. He still loves the person that's furthest away from him. He still loves the person that's doing the most horrible act. I'll tell you, that's not a love that I fully understand yet. I don't. I'm not there. I'm not. But he is. And so, 
Because he is, I want to be. Just like Ashley said last week, God says, be holy for I am holy. God's grace is offered to everyone. And that's hard to understand sometimes. It's hard to accept sometimes. But there's the truth of the matter. God's grace is offered to everyone. The second point, I think, will help us understand the first one a little bit more. And the second one is this. God's grace is freely given, not earned. It's freely given, not earned. See, this is something else that Jonah didn't fully understand. The reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he didn't want Nineveh to receive God's grace. He felt like they didn't deserve it. And you know what? He, he was partly right. Actually, he was right. But that's a, that's a, a, how do I say? That wasn't the full truth. He was right. They didn't deserve it. Just like Jonah didn't deserve it. Just like the people of Israel didn't deserve it. Just like I don't deserve it. Just like you don't deserve it. See, the whole truth is no one deserves God's grace. Not just the people of Nineveh. No one deserves God's grace. In fact, that's exactly what grace means. It's undeserved favor. It's undeserved mercy. You don't earn it. It's freely given. It's freely given to us. I have an example of this, this young teenager I was speaking to years ago, a long time ago. You know, I, I feel old when I can say a long time ago and I was still an adult. That's pretty bad. I, a long time ago, he was a teenager. I was like a young adult. And we're having this conversation and he tells me, you know, he's really wrestling with this idea of salvation. And you know, he didn't really fully understand it. And there was something that bothered him. He said, you know, I have an uncle who's the best person I know. He's the best person I know. You know, he's caring, he's giving, he's honest. He's the first one that he'll take his shirt off his back and give it to you. He'll give you his last dollar. He'll give you his last meal. He's the best person I know. You mean to tell me, Joel, if this, if my uncle doesn't believe in Jesus, he doesn't go to heaven? You mean to tell me he can't go to heaven because he doesn't believe in Jesus? Although he's way better than any Christian I know, he won't go to heaven? I don't remember the answer I gave him. It was a long time ago. I really hope I gave a good answer because that's a really good question. I really hope I gave a decent answer. Lord, please speak to that man's heart if I didn't. But let me describe God's grace this way. This is what I would say. If Hopefully I said this. I don't know. Maybe I did. But this is what I would say. Imagine taking a test that everyone fails. Put yourself in school for a second. I know September's not here yet. Don't worry. But imagine taking a test that everyone fails. No one passes it. Passing means getting a perfect score of 100. Anything less than 100 is not passing. But no one even gets close to that. In fact, the highest score anyone ever gets is 30%. Some people get a flat 0%. You might be thinking, I know someone who gets a flat 0%. Some people get 5, 15, 20, 25, and the top of the class, 30%. But they're still failing. No matter what score they get, everyone fails. So the teacher comes in one day and says, listen, you guys can't pass this test. You can't, but you have to take the test. You got to take it. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my answers to the test. And then he continues to just walk around the classroom and giving everyone the answer key. Everyone gets their own answer key. Now all you have to do is copy down the answers onto the test. Literally, everyone should get 100. Everyone should pass. Now, if someone decides to not copy down those answers and continue to fail the test, even if you get a 30%, even if somehow you manage to get a 35%, maybe never been done before, breaking records, right? Even if you get a 35%, it might look good compared to someone who would have naturally gotten a zero or a 10 or a 15, but guess what? You're still failing. It's still not 100%. This is pass or fail. It's 100 or you're failing. That's how this test works. You're still failing. It's like a doctor in the operating room. That doctor better be 100%. Hey, doc, if you're working on him, you better be 100%. This isn't an almost kind of situation, doc. You better not almost succeed in this operation. You better do 100% on me. I don't want to come out here 90%, you know, you know, healthy. I don't know what that 10% is going to do to me. It better be 100%. It's the same thing with this test. It's 100% or you fail. And the teacher knows you can never pass on your own efforts. You always fail. So he provided the only way for you to actually pass the test. He's given you your, the very own answer key. All you have to do is write it down. All you got to do is copy it down onto your paper. All you got to do is write it down. That's exactly how God's grace of salvation works. It works exactly in that manner. Fidel Castro might get a flat zero. This boy's uncle might get a 
He might pass everybody else, get a 35%, but they're both failing. They're both nowhere near passing because passing is either 100 or you either get 100 or you fail flat out. He might have a 35%, but it's still failing. It's pretty good compared to Fidel, but it's still failing. The only passing score is 100. No one gets 100 on their own effort. No one can earn God's salvation on their own effort. No one can ever make it to heaven based on their own effort. Everyone either gets a zero or 550. It doesn't matter what you get. You can go Mother Teresa on this test and get a 50%. Guess what? You're still failing because you can't earn your way into heaven. Because earning it means 100 and nobody gets 100. No one gets it. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay because God gave us the answer key. No one gets to heaven except by walking through the cross of Jesus. What God is saying here is this. He's saying, you can't pass this test on your own. I'm giving you the answer. The answer is in the blood of my own son, Jesus. Write down this answer on your heart. Copy it down onto your heart. Tattoo it into your heart. All you have to do is copy it from this answer key I'm giving you right into your own heart. You don't have to do it on your own effort. It's on his effort. He already did it for you. You just have to accept it. You have to write it down. That's the only way you get salvation, simply accepting the answer I give you, Jesus. Fidel's zero, sorry, Fidel's zero might look horrible. This kid's uncle might look like perfection compared to everyone else, but the truth is it's still still failing. We're all, everyone is still destined to the same place. We're all destined to the same place if it isn't for the beautiful grace of God freely given to us as the answer. His own son, Jesus, dying on the cross, for our failures, our sin. Look at what Romans 3, verses 23 and 24 say. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some people fall shorter than others. Some people, you know, feel like they do well. It's everyone falls short of the glory of God. And it's not even close to God's glory. A 35% might like good, might look good compared to someone's zero. 35% is still well below failure. I mean, well below that hundred. It's still failing by a whole lot. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And look at what Romans 6 verse 23 says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. There's a song lyric that I really like, and it says this. It should pop up behind me. And it says, but the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. At first, you might hear that. I was like, that, that doesn't sound right. But the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. And it's so true because fair would mean you'd get exactly what you deserve. Fair would mean you get exactly what you deserve, the cost of your sins, eternal death, forever separate from the love of God, forever dwelling in the depths of hell. That would be fair. Like, do you want fair? I don't want fair because that's what fair would mean. But God's free gift of grace gives us the opportunity to be justified in his eyes to get 100%. Because guess what? You still have to take the test. But now we have this free answer key to get 100% so that we're justified in his eyes. And now we have a chance to spend an eternity in his presence. That's not fair. That's grace. And it's freely given. It's not earned. It's never earned. Please don't fall for that. That's what the rest of the world thinks. Let me tell you the one difference, the biggest difference between Christianity and every other faith in the world. And when I say every other faith, I mean every other worldview. I don't care if it's atheism. I don't care if it's Buddhism. I don't care if it's Islam. I don't care if it's Hindu. Whatever else you believe, whatever else you believe, honestly, even, the, even Jewish people that don't accept Christ, everyone else's worldview believes that you earn your way to heaven somehow. Everyone. If my bad, if my, my bad gets outweighed by my good, if my good deeds are good enough, I earn my way to heaven. Everyone else believes it's a matter of religion. It's about doing things to earn your way into heaven. Christianity is the only uh, faith that says that's not the way it works because you can never earn your way to heaven. Grace is freely given, not earned. There's nothing you can do to get that 100%. I don't care if you, again, get a 50 or whatever. You can't earn it. It's freely given. By the grace of God. Have you received God's free gift of grace? Have you copied down God's answer of Jesus in your own heart? Have you done that? Seriously. And don't answer to me. Like, do you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? He's the son of God. He's not just some other person who's really good. He's the son of God. God himself. 
died on the cross for your sins and is saying, accept me. Think of what he did. And so many people say, no, I don't accept you. So many people don't accept. They, the answer keeps and they don't write it down. Most people don't. Most people still fail on their own efforts. It's a sad, sad thing to see. Have you copied down God's answer of Jesus in your own heart? Don't try to earn grace. So 35% is still failing. 50% is still failing. God freely gives it to you. Washing away your sins through the precious blood of Jesus. Receive God's gift of grace today. Receive it. The third point is this. God's grace is is driven by God's love. So God's grace is offered to everyone. God's grace is freely given. It's not earned. And God's grace is driven by God's love. This point was already attached pretty much to the first point that I made. But I wanted to take this chance to explain it a bit more. God's grace is driven by his love for people, for his creation. We're going to read this conversation between Jonah and God now at the end of Jonah chapter 4. And remember, Jonah's upset that God was gracious to the people of Nineveh. So hear what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall, means to prevent. This is what I tried to prevent by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. He's a little dramatic here, right? Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There, he, he ignored God, by the way. He never even answered him. Like, talk about the audacity. Uh, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it, to, uh, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. That's the first time Jonah's happy in this whole story. The first time he's happy in the whole story is because a plant was giving him shade. Like, I love, I love shade, too, on a hot, sunny day. But that's the, that's the first thing you're happy about? It's pretty bad. I mean, I guess he was happy when he prayed. Well, maybe not. All right. Either way, first time he says he's happy. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. That was messed up. A worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is. He said, I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. Again, talking about dramatic. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left and also many animals? I love the way this book ends. First of all, it might be the only book in the whole Bible that ends with a question. I, I, I could be wrong. You can fact check me, but I think I'm right on this. It might be the only book. I could be wrong. But I love how God sets Jonah up. He gives him this plant, makes him fall in love with the plant and the shade. I love shade too. And I, you know, listen. I understand the reality. I love shade on a hot sunny day. I really do. That's why I always have to wear hats. And he got Jonah right where he wanted. Wait, you're upset because you love this plant so much and the shade that it gave you. But now it's dead. How do you think I feel about thousands upon thousands of people that live in this city? God even cared about not just the people, even about the cattle. He's telling Jonah, I know you hate them, but I love them. Because they're mine, they're my creation. I don't like what they do, but I love who they are, my creation. God's grace is driven by his love. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5 says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It isn't saved by works. It isn't saved by your deeds. It isn't say by getting a 35% on this test or a 50%. It isn't say about how nice you are to other people. By grace, you have been saved. 
John 3.16, as we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not uh, perish but have eternal life. God gave because he loved. God's grace is driven by his love, specifically his love for for his creation, for his people. Now, the fourth point I want to make, God uses his judgment and grace to get, I'm only halfway through my teaching, by the way. I did Jonah, now I'm getting into Micah. So I hope you're with me for another, whatever length I did. I'm just kidding. Micah's going to be really quick, really short. I'm going to connect it to what we've been talking about, but we're almost done with this last point. God uses his judgment and grace together. See, in Micah is another great book. If you have a chance to read it, please read it. It's a great book. It really is. In Micah, God uses his judgment and his grace together. In Micah, we see that God is not only gracious, but he's also just. See, in this book, God, through the prophet Micah, prophesies many different things. One of them is actually to Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. And he tells Samaria that it will receive judgment for its horrible sins and be defeated by Assyria. That's an ouch for Jonah, right? Because Assyria, again, that's where Nineveh was from. That was the capital of Assyria. And the very people he didn't want to help end up conquering his own people. Number two, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, will receive judgment for its horrible sins and being conquered by Babylonia. And that Jerusalem will be completely destroyed. This actually happened 100 years after the prophecy. A long time after. Micah predicted this even before Babylonia was an empire. And he made that prediction. But then the third thing I want to point out, the book of Micah, in between its prophecies of judgment, also has prophecies of promises and hope and grace and forgiveness and restoration. It has a rhythm to it. Judgment, grace. Judgment, grace. Many nations, one of the things it says, many nations will go to Israel to learn about God and worship him. I found that fascinating because just a little bit before that, Micah prophesied that, that Jerusalem is going to be completely destroyed. And then it says, later on, many nations will come to Jerusalem and worship God and learn about God. The rest of the world is going to come to this place and worship God and, and learn about God. So what's he saying there? He's implying that Jerusalem is going to be restored. See, the judgment, destruction, destroyed. But later on, it's going to be restored. And many people from other nations will come and learn about God here and worship God here. So you see that judgment, grace, judgment, grace. And then another prophecy, the messianic prophecy is a prophecy about Jesus. And this one I want to read, Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I looked up that word five times and I still forget how to say it. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem is famous for two reasons. That's where King David was born. But he's not talking about King David because at this point, King David already died. The other person that was born there was Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And then that, that last part, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. We know Jesus was born here physically on earth, but he's from ancient times. He was never born. He's always existed. He's God. Clearly talking about Jesus. And Micah 5 verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. See, you might have the misconception that God's law and grace are contradictions. But what God's teaching us here is that's not so at all. They work hand in hand. Jesus came to basically extend the greatest measure of God's grace, right? Dying for our sins and our place. He came to give us, you know, basically life, opportunity to dwell with God forever. That's the greatest extent of God's grace. Yeah, listen to what he says here. Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's saying my grace is not um, you know, Trump, like basically erasing God's law or judgment. No, it's fulfilling it. It's bringing it together. God is and always will be a God of justice and of grace. Look how God works this out. I hope you're with me on this. This is really important. Look how this works out. He, number one, he often uses his judgment to lead people to repentance. 
He uses his judgment to lead people to repentance. He uses it as a mirror to reveal the condition of the person's heart. That's how he uses his judgment for this purpose. Because two, he hopes for the person to respond by turning away from sin, by having a change of mind, a change of heart toward God, towards God. In other words, God justly uses his well-deserved judgment on people to lead them to an undeserved grace from him. I'll say that again. God justly uses a well-deserved judgment on people to lead them to an undeserved grace from him. God is just. He can't not be just. He doesn't stop being a just God. Consequences still go out. The perfect example is Jesus' sacrifice. We don't pay our eternal debt of of our sin. We don't have to pay that because of God's grace. But Jesus did pay that for us because of God's judgment. He uses his judgment and grace together. They're not contradictions. They work hand in hand. If you find yourself under God's judgment right now in life, I want you to understand a few things. Pay attention to this. Understand a few things here of what this means. Number one, he's been warning you. He's been warning you. He gives warning before the judgment. You just haven't heeded the warning. If the judgment is here, it's because you did not listen to the warning. He warned you before the judgment. Number two, he's using this judgment for you to turn away from your sin. Repent and have a change of mind and a change of heart. That's why he's using this judgment in your life. For you to repent, have a change of mind, a change of heart. Whether your sin is driven by pride, whether it's driven by lust, whether it's driven by jealousy, whether it's driven by anger, whether it's driven by whatever selfish motive, hatred, whatever it's driven by, turn away from it, repent, have a change of mind and a change of heart towards Jesus. That's why God is allowing this judgment in your life because that's the end goal. That's what he wants. And when you do repent, you can count on this next. What you can count on is for God to extend his grace. He extends his grace after the repentance. If you don't repent, you just keep on running into judgment. But when you repent, he extends grace. We're going to hear this song one more time, the song that Jen danced to. You won't get the dance piece. Sorry, but you will listen. I want you to listen to the song. Let the song minister to you, to your own heart. You can take this time to close your eyes. You can pray just a few minutes long. And now that you, you, you hear the story of Jonah, this whole song, if you didn't notice when you first heard it, it's all about Jonah. It's all about the story of Jonah. It's all about God's grace. I want you to hear it. Let it minister to your heart for a few minutes, and then I'll come back out and pray. Dear God, we come before you humble at heart in awe of who you are, in awe of your supernatural power, in awe of your supernatural love, in awe of your grace, and yes, Lord, even at awe of your judgment, because we see how you use it. We use it, you use it for your glory, but you also use it to bring us towards you, my God. Lord, I pray that as we keep, continue to learn about who you are, as we've been digging into your word, as we've been getting to know your word, Lord, we've been getting to know who you are. We've been getting to know your character. We've been getting to know your heart. I pray, Lord, that you draw us nearer to you. I pray everyone that's listening is drawn nearer to you, Lord. May your grace do it. May you bring them to you, my God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you plant seeds of faith into everyone's heart that's listening so that they may turn to you and believe in you, God, in a supernatural way. May they believe in you with the depths of their hearts. May they take that answer key and write it down in their hearts and tattoo it in their hearts. Jesus, not trying to earn it, not trying to do anything on their own efforts, Lord, but knowing that it's all on your back, Jesus, and your back is strong enough to carry it. My God, I pray that whatever situation we're all in, my God, I pray you meet us where we are. And I pray, God, that you reveal, reveal to us 
Revealed to every single one of us, Lord, because your grace isn't just for those that never repented. Your grace is for every single one of us, even those that have been walking with you for years. And I need your grace on a daily basis, my God. I need to repent on a daily basis, my God. I pray that you reveal to every single one of our hearts where we are. Show us, Lord. Let us be keen to the warnings that you're giving us. Let us see it, Lord, so that we don't have to go through the judgment. But when we do go through the judgment, my God, I pray that we repent and turn away from our sins, that we may have a change of heart, mind and a change of heart towards you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do a work, Lord, a work in our hearts. Do a work of healing, of breaking chains, of destroying enemies' strongholds, my God, in our hearts. Cause us to repent, Lord. Sometimes we struggle and we try to do it and we can't, Lord, but we need your power. We need your grace even to receive your grace, my God. Please give it to us. Touch our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Please plant seeds of faith and of healing and of love and of grace so that we can be closer to you as we get to know you more. We may be drawn closer to you. We love you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. And that's where we place our faith, just in you, Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to say just one last thing to sum it all up, to sum this whole thing up. My prayer is you don't run away from receiving God's grace, but you also don't run away from delivering and giving God's grace as well. Amen, guys. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, You can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.